So Nell, given that ratings roulette went without a hitch, mm-hmm. <laughs> I thought it'd be worth playing another little game to kick off the last episode in the series. Great. Okay, so basically, I'm going to tell you about inventions, and you need to tell me if you think they exist or not. Sounds simple enough. Right, okay, so here goes. Do these inventions exist or not? Is there a smart toilet that you can connect with your Amazon Alexa? To flush it? Flush it, to change the lighting, to play music. Oh, 100%. Is it heated? Um, So it does have a retractable B-Day situation. (laughs) Yeah. You are correct. That's right. The Polar Numi Intelligent Toilet. For a bonus point, how much do you think that costs? How much can a toilet cost? 500 quid? That is incorrect, Mel. Aw, too bad. The approximate cost is $8,000. Yeah. And so I looked up some of the reviews on Amazon and they were pretty terrible. There was one guy who said that he's tried to fit the toilet eight times. Also, then you're going to have to be yelling through the house, Alexa, please. (laughs) Things in a bathroom should be quiet. So, smart toilet. Yeah. So, right. Started off easy, right? Yeah. Japanese toilets, all the rage. You think. Okay. Next um, example I have, a weight loss headset. That shouts horrible things to you all the time. (laughs) Um, I mean, I don't think you need a headset for that. You should need a picky (laughs) mum, don't you? (laughs) So, it's a headset that sends electronic impulses to your brain to curb things like your hunger. Nah. So, is that your final answer? Dumb things do exist. No, no. Surprise, surprise, Nell. It does. Nil point. The Modius Slim. (laughs) It's called the Modius Slim. Um, This time, don't want you to guess how much you think it costs, but how many pounds do users lose on average after using Mobius Slim? And so the average use is like eight weeks, they say. Eight weeks. And eight weeks, technically on a diet, you're supposed to lose like two pounds a week, so times eight is 16. Final answer. No, no, because this is some razzmatazz, like, say... 16 pounds and triple it so three <laughs> um it's like a final answer now yeah you are incorrect <laughs> so um, Nil point. users claimed that after eight weeks they will lose on average uh 10.4 pounds that's so ridiculous you can just to stop having pudding <laughs> He will lose more pounds. Maybe that's part of the headset. It's just your voice going, don't eat pudding. How much does it cost? Um, Wait, a sound engineer is going to find out for us. 369 pounds. Yeah, 369 pounds. Just For 10 pounds in eight weeks. And you have to wear it. You have to walk around with that thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, for my last uh, question, do you think there is in existence an edible drone? Oh, yes, because... Yeah. Drones can be quite small. Okay. Kind of say yes. Well, Nell, you would be correct on this instance. Yay! Yes. You win! So, um, an engineer called Nigel Gifford, uh, he's developed a drone called Pouncer, um, which can accurately deliver aid to those in need. So it can be preloaded with food and then transported to like conflict areas uh, or places where people are suffering from famine. And because it uses drone technology, it can be really accurate. The shell that the drone is used in, it can be kind of taken off and used to create shelter. So so it's like multi-purpose, basically, drones. That's um, so cool. Yeah, so that's actually quite a cool one. 
So now at the end of uh, the game, what have we learnt? That technology can solve any problem? Potentially. So the problems with sustainable finance we've presented, the zoo of ESG ratings, the disconnect between the largest asset managers and factory workers on the ground, these could be addressed in the next wave of financial innovation. Here's Mark McDivitt, head of ESG at State Street Corporation. The market is increasingly pointing its finger towards artificial intelligence, leveraging satellite source and sensor data, to prove as a third-party objective observer of an asset what, in fact, that company's doing. Optics versus reality. And that's where ESG is increasingly going to be going. Again, getting rid of the word ESG and going towards this idea of just 21st century analytics, 21st century you know, risk, 21st century ways to identify opportunities in inherent portfolios. I'm Kanika Seigel. And I'm Nell McKenzie. And this is episode three of Euromoney's Treasury and Turbulence podcast. And in this episode, we'll be looking at all the technological innovation that is helping corporates map the supply chain and influence ESG on the way. This podcast is supported by City Treasury and Trade Solutions. With experts in 98 countries around the world, City is uniquely able to give advice and solutions to global companies to help them manage their international trade and financial flows in this time of deep uncertainty and change. I'm Matt McCartan, so I'm the Spatial Finance Lead in the University of Oxford's Sustainable Finance Program. And my name is Christoph Christian. I work for the satellite applications Catapult as the sustainable finance lead. Christoph and Matt have been working together in a non-profit group set up by the UK government. It combines the efforts of the Oxford Sustainable Finance Programme, the Alan Turing Institute and the Green Finance Institute. And they're trying to find ways that people in finance can analyse information gathered from space. And this can tell you about crop health, moisture saturation, greenhouse gas emissions, heat waves and more. Catapult, together with the Pew Trust, we set up a project to leverage satellite technology to identify illegal, unreported and unregulated fishing. Satellites can pick up the signals that ships send so that they don't bump into each other in the middle of the ocean. Every time a ship sends one out, it identifies itself and its location. And all of this data can be channeled into machine learning, which can send an alert when a ship goes off-grid. You can use the data to understand if a vessel is going into uh, areas they shouldn't be fishing, be they economic exclusive zones of other countries, marine national parks where fishing is not allowed. You can really track how a, a vessel is going into these waters. Sometimes they would even turn off the AIS signal because they know they're being tracked, and then you see them popping up a day later at the other side of the economic marine zone. Using satellites to track ships doesn't just catch illegal fishing. They can also trace the movement of illegal goods and human trafficking in what's called trans shipping, when ships pass illegal goods from one deck to another in the middle of the ocean. Patterns with the satellite data really show very nicely how boats are approaching each other, how they stay next to each other for a long time. And if you then also task a satellite, you can see how certain goods are being transshipped. So this information is valuable for either enforcement authorities, coast guards, port authorities, etc., to catch some of these suspicious vessels um, red-handed when they get into shore. The satellite applications catapult has also been digging into supply chains. They work with companies like Sainsbury's to make sure their seafood supply chains are ethically managed. They've also worked on a project commissioned by a group of investors, including the Church of England, called the Global Mining and Tailing Safety Initiative. In January last year, a mining waste storage facility burst in Brazil and sent 12 cubic metres of toxic waste into a town. 
250 people died. Through the initiative, models for preventing another similar disaster were created by using the same satellite imagery and AI techniques. But there's just one hitch. By looking at buildings from space, you can't find out who owns and operates them, and thus who is responsible. So here we're quite reliant on legal filings, news articles, information that's been gathered by NGOs, the internet. So we need some way of being able to trace that information. And if that trace isn't there, then there's nothing we can really do. So information from space is helpful, but you still need people, activists, smallholders and workers on the ground to detail the supply chain. Add more technology into the mix, like a social network, and the visibility along the supply chain increases. Our customers just have to be familiar with LinkedIn. Uh, So all we ask from them is a list of their suppliers and their email addresses, and they upload those into the software. This is Leonardo Bonanni, the founder and CEO of SourceMap, a company that uses social networking technology to create 100% traceable and transparent supply chains. SourceMap invites those suppliers and says, look, your very important customer has asked you for some information on your supply chain. Can you please tell us who you buy from, where your origins are, And what kind of responsible sourcing practices do you have in place? And within a matter of of days, the supply chain that they thought they had grows. It mushrooms. Five to ten times more suppliers register on. Uh, The invitations cascade all the way to, to the origin. And along that way, they're collecting all of this very useful data on who is really supplying them. Leonardo started SourceMap when he was a research assistant at MIT in the hopes that if supply chains were made transparent, bad practices would clear up. I think for, for my generation, that picture of a young boy stitching a Nike soccer ball together from Life magazine, I think it was in 1996, is kind of burnt into our memories. If it wasn't for a journalist stumbling upon somebody working out of their house, there would be no way to know that supply chains had child labor uh, and other issues uh, endemic throughout them. His eureka moment came on a trip to India in 2008. And I saw how little cotton farmers were receiving in payment for their cotton as a result of not having access to any information about the market demand, the market prices, the, the availability on, on of stocks. And so... Uh, I was working at the Media Lab at MIT at the time, and and we were always 10, 20 years ahead in terms of envisioning a world in which everybody was hyper-connected. And and the the disparity between these cotton farmers in Orissa and uh, the the researchers at the Media Lab was so vast. But at the same time, I could see that it was only a matter of years before uh, a cotton farmer, even a smallholder, would be able to afford some connection to to the web. All this needed was a simple internet connection and a social network, cheap and scalable. Companies can now discover subcontractors that they never knew they had within a matter of hours. But it's not like this is all altruistic. The data companies collect can be really quite bespoke, which will not only help those at the bottom of the supply chain, but the company's overall profitability in the long run. As soon as more than 10% of the suppliers to an industry are transparent about their supply chain and the others aren't, then uh, the, the transparent ones get, they get better deals. They get more margins, they get more volumes. So what may have started out as lofty statements around corporate social responsibility in the 1990s and early 2000s 
what some critics have simply characterised as cheap marketing, now relies on actual verifiable data, which is driving change within the supply chain. Traceability or supply chain transparency, as we call it, it represents a complete shift, not just in the kinds of auditing, certification and standard setting that goes on, but in the human to human relationships across the supply chain, because you can't just do business while hiding who you buy from anymore. And if you can't hide who you buy from, then everybody has to add value that's visible down the chain. So our customers are, are entirely interested in this new connected an accountable supply chain. But what if you didn't even need to trace the supply chain? What if moving forward you were able to create a product from idea to reality in one place? 3D printing could hold the answer. My name is Simon Knowles. I'm Chief Marketing Officer at Mainpoint, a member of the SGS Group. And what does Mainpoint do? Mainpoint is a global supply chain and operations consulting firm that drives accelerated and measurable improvements in terms of EBITDA, cash and growth for organisations. And we do that by unlocking value across the end-to-end -end supply chain. Simon and his team have started to explore the potential of 3D printing in international trade and the huge impact this could have on the supply chain. Now, from a business impact perspective, this technology has the power to help companies significantly reduce costs in terms of uh, inventory management, in terms of uh, distribution costs, for example. And it also enables them to potentially overcome geopolitical risks and tariffs by printing locally and, and delivering locally, improve customer service uh, by delivering a more uh, advanced customer service through localised servicing, but also to reduce the carbon footprint. And for those organisations that really take the lead here, the opportunity to drive innovation and gain competitive advantage is really a significant opportunity. Simon and his team have started to explore the potential of 3D printing in international trade and the huge impact this could have on the supply chain. 3D printing cuts the links in the supply chain and can have the effect of moving production onshore. Some non-critical 3D printed parts are already in use on aircraft. And just for example here, GE Aviation already have hundreds of 3D printers. So by default, this will help them reduce their carbon footprint given their ability to print parts locally. We took a look at some other examples of 3D printing. So for instance, GE Aviation have 3D printed the prototype of a jet engine. Here's what they say on their website. The GE9X is the largest and most powerful jet engine ever manufactured. The front fan alone measures over three metres in diameter. And the end result, maybe when they start using it, will mean that planes could be much more fuel efficient. Other weird and wonderful uses of 3D printing include prosthetic eyes and other body parts, houses, musical instruments and mouse ovaries. Yes, you heard correctly, mouse ovaries. And food, like cakes. And cheese. Now you can have what you've always wanted, Kanika. A bust of my face and Gouda. That's a Gouda look for you. <laughs> Uh, we, we digress. Now companies have an imperative to use some of the tech solutions we have mentioned, though many have already jumped on the opportunity. This is Nadia Humphreys, who works in sustainable finance solutions at Bloomberg. As part of the sustainable finance action plan, there are kind of three core things. One of them is to mainstream sustainability into risk management. And the way that this is adopted is looking at financial stability and recognising that climate is a risk to financial stability. So if you as a company have not thought through both the risks and opportunities of climate change on you. She's talking about the European Commission's plan to make disclosure around ESG risk management a regulation. That's right. 
ESG risks, what E, S and G might cost the company, and what kind of game plan the firm has to mitigate that risk. Technology can help with this as well. And those risks and opportunities could be based on the location of what we call assets. So your operations, your factories whatever those assets may be. If they're, for example, coastal location and you expect sea levels to rise, have you planned appropriately for that? If you're expected to be in an area of extreme heat, that potentially drought will occur within that region and you are a manufacturer of a beverage company, for example, you need water. So how are you going to source the water? So have you looked at how climate is going to impact you your operations and ultimately have you future-proofed yourself against that. In the same vein you can look at opportunities so maybe as a result of climate change there are opportunities to your business and are you seizing those. Companies like Bloomberg are also working with satellite feeds and AI modelling systems to incorporate climate issues into risk management tools they offer firms. Satellites, drones, remote data loggers, social media platforms, there's a gap in the market that is quickly being filled. Because not only will companies want to be good actors, they will have to disclose risks in their supply chains to regulators. And regulators are not the only stakeholders that want more corporate transparency. Big investors are also excited about what technology will bring. Here's your own Bosch from NN Investment Partners, who you heard from in the first episode. I think the great thing of uh, the age we live in is that there's a lot of new technology becoming available, like machine learning, natural language processing, AI. And at the same time, there's also much more data available as well. That combination uh, gives a lot of opportunities to do analysis. ESG and technological innovation together are changing the roadmap for companies and their supply chains. The future means more, more transparency more data, more information for all stakeholders in all industries. From the factory worker to the biggest investor. Here's Mark McDivitt from State Street again. Optics versus reality. And that's where ESG is increasingly going to be going. Getting rid of the word ESG and going towards this idea of just 21st century analytics, 21st century you know, risks, 21st century ways to identify opportunities in inherent portfolios. I almost hate the word movement. Yes, it's a movement. I think the better phrase is we are now all learning a new language. We are all enhancing our ability to articulate what a 21st century balance sheet looks like. This whole conversation is around data, the quality of the data, the, the efficiencies of data, the, the quantification of behavior. And you know, back to you know, just weaving in and out of the questions you asked, what's the buy side firm's responsibility or participation or role here? As fiduciaries of assets, they need to fully, we need to fully, I should say, we need to fully embrace as a fiduciary understanding these risks in, in, in these portfolios, fully understanding these risks, not just taking a company report's word for it that they're doing the right thing from an ESG perspective. And for the last time in this series, here's the in-house view presented by Courtney Lawrence, Managing Director, Sustainable Banking and Corporate Transitions at City. Hi, I'm Courtney Lawrence, and today I will be speaking to City's resident expert, Maywish Jongda, who works in City Trade Sales. In this episode, we will be looking at how technology will transform the supply chain, not just in terms of creating transparency and efficiency, but in terms of financing as well. So Maywish, can technology create traceable and transparent supply chains? Definitely. You know what? It might be easier to explain it by way of giving an example. If we take drones as technology and their impact on supply chain starts from raw material right to the delivery of finished consumer product, we will be able to better understand it. Now, 
It is also being experimented by companies like Walmart to use drones for keeping a check on physical inventories in the warehouse and also to move small items within the warehouse through drones. Taking it to the last mile are the companies like DHL in partnership with Amazon and Google to actually provide end consumer delivery by way of drones. Imagine placing an order online and a drone delivering it to your front door within 30 minutes. Moving all steps of supply chain to a technology-based solution allows for increased transparency and increased monitoring. If we take it in the light of ESG, the most commonly identified direct application of drones is for law enforcement, such as illegal activities of deforestation, as an example. And what role does blockchain technology have in the supply chain? Now, if we go back a century or so, supply chains were relatively simple because of their domestic nature. But now they're incredibly complex because they've gone extremely global. It is very difficult for customers to actually know the real value of the product because there is no transparency in supply chain. When we talk about blockchain, which is essentially a distributed digital ledger, it can be used for finalizing the deal, signing smart contracts, tracking, and payment. And since every transaction is recorded on very many computers, it is highly transparent. Ultimately, blockchain can increase the efficiency and transparency of supply chains and positively impact everything from raw material procurement to warehousing to actual supply of the end consumer product. And what role will big data and artificial intelligence have in supply chain transparency? So companies have started to adopt new, more circular approaches to using resources. These approach focus on reuse and repair, on upgrades and refurbishments, on capacity sharing and renewability. Digital technologies, along with big data and artificial intelligence, provide the transparency, making them perfect enablers for circular economy business models. The deployment of this technology would produce data and allow for artificial intelligence to be utilized for circular economy and direct-to-consumer business models. Now, if we were to replace physical newspapers with digital content or physical stores with direct-to-consumer retail, it will require understanding how people interact with physical versus digital interfaces. And for that, you need artificial intelligence. Currently, the online return rates for shopping are about 30%. Now, insights into returns management through RFIT technology, which will leverage artificial intelligence, can help retailers gain visibility into the relationship between consumers and products they return, when, why, and how they return, and the quality of those products upon return. This allows for the continuous reshaping of the research and development and marketing strategies. Thanks, Mewish, for great insights. Well, that's it for this series of Treasury and Turbulence. Thanks for listening, and we hope you've enjoyed our last house view of the series. This podcast was brought to you by Euromoney magazine, written, reported and produced by Kanika Seigel and Mel McKenzie and edited by Mel. Special thanks to Chris Hunt and the team at City for their support. Very special thanks to our voice actors, Stephanie Goodfellow, Lori Lewis and David Menken. <laughs> <laughs>